Eyewitness News. Be there as it happens. City News. Seventeen thirty GMT. This is Eyewitness News on ninety-seven point three CTFM. I am Umaru Sanda Amadou. Tonight, I'm here with Akusia Ochi. And coming up over the next ninety minutes, Ghana's Parliament passes law to decriminalise attempted suicide in the country. We have full details here for you. Also coming up, police in Ashanti region question six NDC executives who were seen wearing military camouflage. We will continue to wear it until a competent court tells that we can't wear it. I'm telling you, we will continue to wear that dress until a competent court says that Ashanti regional executive, you cannot wear it anymore, then we will stop wearing it. And later, John Mahama to be number one on the party's ballot paper as the least known of the four candidates pull out or pulls out rather of the race. Stay with 97.3 CTFM for more on this and many other stories on Eyewitness News. There's also business later on the bulletin, and Michael Ogudu has the latest headlines. Institute for Energy Security projects up to 5% reduction in fuel prices in the coming days. So that's in 15 minutes from the business desk of CTFM and City TV. Eyewitness News. Eyewitness News is live across Ghana on a number of affiliate stations across the globe on citynewsroom.com. In Ghana, you can listen to us on all uh, stations that bring this show, including... In the Upper West Region on Bugli Radio 88.6 in Wa, Word 88.3 FM in Zwarungu in Upper East, Dasuma 99.1 FM in Yendri in Northern Region, Volta Region on Holy 98.5 FM in Aflau, Wright 90.1 FM in Somania in the Eastern Region, Orange 107.9 FM in Kumasi in the Ashanti Region. In the Bono Region, we are on Greener 95.9 FM in Suyani in the Western Region on Premier 100.5 FM. Beach 105.5 FM and Sky Power 93.5 FM. All of them are in Takradi. We are on citynewsroom.com. We are on YouTube and we are on Facebook. Let's know what you make of the stories we are bringing you on WhatsApp. The number to send your message to is 0549-986-996. 0549-986-996. You can send tweets using the hashtag citynewsroom. Tweet at Umarusanda or at CT973. Eyewitness News is uh, interactive from number 11, Dr. Martin Loop in Adabraka, in Accra. My name is Omaru Sandamaru here with Akosia Ochi. Let's start with details of our stories now. And the first one has to do with that law on Ghana's books that says it is unlawful and criminal for you to attempt to commit suicide. Over the period, there have been various campaigns calling on the government of Ghana to decriminalize suicide. Now, what that means is that if you attempted to commit suicide and uh, you are found out and you were unsuccessful, you would be brought before the law court and uh, prosecuted. So that has always been the case. And then now this particular issue has been addressed in Ghana uh, because the law in Parliament now has been amended. Uh, let me read for you the 
highlights of what has been uh, published by the various portals that have been covering this look at this from graphic online and it says um, ghana's parliament has approved amendments to the criminal offenses act of 1960 act 29 which previously made attempted suicide a criminal offense as per the recent changes individuals who attempt to take their own life will now be regarded as needing mental health support rather than facing imprisonment under the law uh, so this has to do with several issues that have been discussed in the past. If you look at related articles, Harun Idris, the immediate past minority leader, is quoted as saying, don't decriminalize suicide. He is clearly against that. Uh, Professor Akotia says, media must be circumspect on reporting suicide. Um, Mahama, that's former President Mahama, says, uh, suicide is never the answer. This is in response to uh, that time where we noticed people were committing suicide. We were told it had to do with the economy. Uh, there's another story coming from Kaswa. Man commits suicide on high voltage grid code transmission line, and we are told this has to do with the economy. The WHO World Health Organization says Africa has world's highest suicide rates, and so on. So these are all related publications. Let's speak to the man who has been at the forefront for the decriminalization of uh, suicide. At the time, he was in charge of the Accra Psychiatric Hospital. He has since graduated to being former chief executive he's actually in charge of the mental health authority he was a mental health authority boss he recently got awarded uh, at the state annex by the president and dr kwisiose you're welcome to eyewitness news thank you very much Omar. how are you receiving this news coming from parliament well very exciting we are we are really elated because this is something you as you said you struggled to get through for a long time so it, it feels like a, a long battle finally won. How has the journey been, though, and how did it start? It was part of the uh, 1960 Act, Act 29, which said it was criminal, which means it's a fight that you've been on for decades. Walk us through the, the, the memory lane, how you've been doing this. Yeah, exactly. Uh, so what happened was that we were bequeathed with that law of 1960 uh, that, that, that criminalizes attempted suicide and bequeathed by the colonial masses. But interestingly, they have gone on and changed their law to decriminalize attempted suicide. They have recognized that if somebody attempts suicide, he actually has an, an issue, largely mental health issues. Attempted suicide is a cry for help. Somebody is crying that, come and help me, come and help me, come and support me. And so they have recognized that and, and destroyed it. And yet we have stayed on, we have stuck to that for 50 plus years. And so we realized that, no, we realized that that is not the way forward. In fact, it is really, really um, humiliating to us all as a nation for us to recognize that when the developed world, when the civilized world, inverted commerce have gone on, we are still keeping to criminalizing a mental health issue. So we've been fighting for that. And what the peak of the fight was in 2017, when there was a surge of suicide, you may remember in 2017, some five, six years ago, a number of people took their lives, and then every day, and now you were hearing people wanting to take their lives. So we came together as a group, called ourselves mental health advocates, uh, local mental health personnel, diasporan personnel together, and then we decided that the only way out is to embark on massive public education, targeted was. And the judiciary targeted towards the legal fraternity, the judges, and what most. 
and also the media. So we did that. And um, uh, eventually, the member of parliament, the chairman of the parliamentary select committee, uh, picked it up and decided to champion a bill against uh, to decriminalize the suicide. And that's where eventually we are where we are. Now, even when the bill was in parliament, we initially, in fact, even needed to fight against the parliamentarians. Some of us thought that, no, if you repeal that law, if you decriminalize attempted suicide, you are opening the floodgate for people to take their lives. And the reason is that it is a law that is that is preventing people from doing it, and that if you repeal it or if you change it, you will be opening the floodgate, which was in fact not the case. Worldwide, where mental, well, the attempted suicide has been criminalized, it is seen that incidence of suicide or attempted suicide goes down. So it's rather the opposite. So we put all this argument up, and eventually uh, they got converted, so to speak. And that's where we are now. Okay, now this former M this MPs you talk about include the former Tamale South, well, not former, current Tamale South MP, former minority leader, Harun Idris, who's quoted on citynewsroom.com as having spoken in 2019, and he described the attempt to take one's life as an unacceptable behavior that must be rather, that must rather be punished and deterred. He said that criminalizing an attempt to commit suicide would go a long way to discourage Ghanaians, especially the youth, to appreciate that there was no reward in killing oneself. Now, if you had someone as big as the minority leader at the time, someone who has served as a minister, has been in MP for all these years, saying that he did not agree, how were you able to successfully go through then? Because this went through the house yesterday without, you know, the, the usual uh, brouhaha that's around controversial bills. It appeared that you didn't face stiff opposition in the final hours of the bill as you did in the early hours. Well, that is exactly uh, what I explained by saying that we had opposition within Parliament itself. And you know, the opposition was not only amongst well, the general populace, the general uh, parliamentarians, but in fact even among the doctors within Parliament. They were arguing the same way as uh, Honorable Haruna was arguing, that you can't, you can't repeal it, you can't change the law, otherwise you will be encouraging people to do it. But I must say that, <laughs> uh, so your point was that, what was the strategy you used? So we went on further to talk to them. So what I mean is that, and how did you manage to win them over? Uh, because yeah, it appears right. you won that's them, right. it, this was not put to a vote, which means it was a consensus bill that went through. Yeah, yeah, that's right. So we actually went to them, we targeted those who were op uh, opposed to the uh, decriminalization, and talked to them one-on-one. Haruna, Honorable Haruna was one of them. Eventually, when we explained the situation to him, he said, oh, and that was 2019, as I was saying, he said, oh, I now understand the issue. I thought you were encouraging people to take their lives. I now understand. So I'm for you, and I'm with you now. So as far back as shortly after he had made that statement, and many others had made a similar statement, we talked to them one-on-one, -on -one, and then they got convinced that, after all, we were not encouraging suicide, but we were rather saying that it was a mental health issue and they needed to be helped. So, so that's how eventually they all got converted. So as the debate proceeded, they were all for the decriminalization because a lot of work had been done on them. Okay, so the position is that anyone who attempts suicide has a mental problem. And so it well, is not an, a criminal intent. That, is that the official position from the health perspective, the professional perspective like yours? Slightly different. So let me say that 
for all people who attempt suicide or who take their lives out of suicide, 93 to 95% is from mental health issues. This, this, is, this is officially known worldwide. 93 to 95%, of which about 80 to 85% is from depression alone. Now, let's say depression, which constitutes about 85% as I'm saying. Anybody who is depressed feels worthless, feels hopeless, feels life is not worth it, and let me, why do I continue to live? Let me take my life. He feels so sad, so depressed. And that is why such a person, they want to go on further to take his life. So if you want to punish him because he did not succeed in taking his life, then it means we are punishing him for suffering and illness. And that's the position. So it, it, it's not 100%. There are some people who may want to take their lives out of uh, 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 religious belief because he thinks, I mean, religious belief, uh, this uh, um, uh, suicide bombing, that is not depression, that's not mental illness. So there are a few issues that are not of mental illness nature, but 93 to 95%. So the official position is that because 93 to 95% of them are for mental issues, if anybody attempts to take his life, let's assess and evaluate him to see. If he has a mental issue, then he is a candidate for treatment. If he does not have a mental issue, that is where the law may then go on to prosecute him. So now that the law has decriminalized its end block, how do you deal with people who are engaging or planning to engage in suicide for other reasons aside mental health? And I have said most of them, if 95% are mental health issues, virtually, practically, most of them are actually mental health issues. But again, even if somebody, like somebody comes, I say, he says, I have malaria, the doctor will not simply go ahead and, and give malaria treatment. He will evaluate him upstairs and uh, possibly even do some lab tests. So somebody comes with a sign of uh, suicide, a sign of mental issue, as I said, attempted suicide. It will not be conclusive that he therefore has a mental issue. You would evaluate him. Because once he has come for assessment, that gives us the opportunity to evaluate him. So if evaluation comes to say that, oh, your condition is not suicide, uh, it's not a mental health issue, then the law may then go further to prosecute. Okay. Thank you for speaking to us, Doc. You're welcome. That's Dr. Akwesiose. He's a former chief executive officer of the Mental Health Authority, and uh, he has been a key advocate of the decriminalization of uh, suicide, and that has come through. One of the MPs in Parliament who has been fighting for human rights is Francis Xavier Sosu. He represents the people of Medina. He's joining us on the line. Honorable, you're welcome to Eyewitness News. Were you one of the persons who were advocating for the decriminalization of suicide did you work on the on the amendment when it came what was your position in the house yes um thank you very much uh, uh sandra and a very good evening to your cherished uh, listeners yes i have been part of uh, coalitions uh, calling for decriminalization of suicide uh for several reasons but i think that the major one is what uh, dr kusiose has already advanced which is the fact that Anyone uh, who comes to that decision to want to take his life uh, obviously has some mental health disorders and, uh, and needs to be helped. And so you would see that uh, the new law that has been passed actually has made provisions for uh, people who are suicidal uh, to be helped through under the Mental Health Act. Um, and then also, um, I recall that when the, it came before our committee uh, where I serve, 
uh, as one of the leaders, we during the close by close considerations, uh, all the factors and some of the issues that you were raising now came to the fore. Um, and it is also for the reason why uh, the law provides for uh, uh, holding people who assist or who abet attempted, you know, suicide uh, accountable, you know, criminally liable, even though people themselves who attempt the suicide are not held criminally liable. And then finally, uh, you would also understand that if you have persons who are suicidal, who uh, by all the researches available are people with some level of mental disorders, uh, you will agree that what they need is not prison. What they need is assistance. And uh, that has been my position. And I'm glad that finally we've been able to push this uh, amendment through. So what does it mean in principle and in practice? It means that part of Act 29 that focused on uh, suicide has been expunged. Is that what it means? And also, yeah, does, it, does it mean you have to take it to the president for signing or this automatically becomes law? Walk us through the practicalities. Well, uh, what it means is that uh, the provisions uh, on uh, suicide, which uh, says that uh, if a person attempts suicide, uh, he would be liable for misdemeanor, which actually means that you can go to prison for not more than three years if you attempted suicide, uh, have been repealed. And uh, once it's been repealed by an act of parliament, by the practice, the act will have to be sent to the president for a presidential assent for it to become law. Uh, and so that is what we are waiting for now, for a presidential assent then it will become law. What this also then means is that uh, if anybody is being held uh, on uh, any charge or being prosecuted for suicide, once the law has been repealed, it means that all those um, uh, charges will be dropped. But it does not mean people who are currently serving for attempted um, suicide would be freed. Well, I think that that is um, another conversation. Once the law under which the, of course, that would then amount to like a kind of a retrospective or a, yeah, a retrospective application of the law, which our laws uh, do not allow. But I think that people like that could just go on appeal. And I mean, an appellate court is likely uh, to uh, free them um, uh, in respect of, uh, if, if they are being held for suicide, uh, in prison for suicide, I'm, I'm very sure that an appeal against those convictions, uh, citing the repeal of the law, uh, is something that can be considered uh, for their discharge. Now that we do not have deterrence for attempted suicide, do you not think people would feel safe to do that and we may see numbers high or higher numbers? Not at all. Um, you know, legislation actually and then let's say the legislative process has has changed and if I said it has changed now we move towards what we call a research-based approach to legislation what it means is that we are looking at data and looking at uh, what is a reality the fact is that uh, the existence of those laws on our statute book uh, did not deter anybody from committing suicide when you look at the suicide rate in the last five years, from 2016, 2017, 2018, uh, it's almost around between 6.8% of every 1,000 uh, people that you take uh, annually. And so every year we have over 60 uh, people 
either attempting suicide or killing themselves as a result of suicide. And the existence of that law did not deter them at all. Uh, and we don't have any research that suggests that um, uh, other countries that have actually decriminalized suicide attempt uh, have had like a hike in suicide attempt or in suicide by by themselves. So I don't see that at all. Uh, there is no, it doesn't come up at all that uh, deterrence has actually been a reason why that law should still be kept, you know, on our statute books. I see. Okay, but would you say that we are better off as a country having removed this law, and would it not come back to bite us? I don't think so. And also because, you see, we have room for um, always uh, recalling amendment and doing further amendment if the situation or the, 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 the circumstances change. You know, law is a tool for social engineering. And at the time that we are trying to reform our criminal justice system, we want to decongest our prisons, we are talking about decriminalization of petty crimes and so on and so forth. There are some of these laws that we inherited from our colonial masses that the colonial masses themselves have already moved away from. It is we are we are rather being very, very slow with our reforms. And so I think that the reform is in the right direction. And uh, what we need to do is to monitor the space and see now that we've decriminalized it, what is the reality? And I'm sure this year we're going to be having data. Next year we are going to be having data. If the data changes, we can always come back to Parliament and say that, well, uh, decriminalizing it was not a good idea. But for now, I think that uh, it is a global trend. It is uh, it is supported by research. Uh, it is consistent with uh, the reforms that are needed in our criminal justice system. It's consistent with uh, transitional justice uh, matters. It's consistent with uh, uh, desire to de uh, to decongest our prisons and so on and so forth. So I think for now we are good. Thank you so much for speaking to us. Thank you, sir. That's Honorable Francis Xavier Sosu. He is NDC Member of Parliament for Medina and a human rights lawyer. This is Eyewitness News on 97.37. Let me bring some of your messages. Amisku Pelele says, uh, kudos to Parliament for passing the Criminal Offences Act. Uh, you mean for repealing, uh, undoubtedly, amending, not repealing, amending. Uh, this will help victims to have proper medical care than to face the law. Suicide is not an option. That's a hashtag that you have used. Fiamongo in says decriminalizing the law on suicide is good news. Parliament did very well. Uh, God bless the house. Now people can share their problems so that they can be helped. Uh, this one says decriminalization of suicide is good news because sentencing someone with suicide attempt compounds the problem of the sufferer. They rather need family and psychological support. That's Emil Akwensivi, a mental health advocate in a soldier man in the eastern region. John Tete in Kofuridwa says, uh, if someone attempts to commit suicide out of committing a crime, uh, which can lead him or her to imprisonment, uh, then can we treat that as a mental issue? This is Eyewitness News on 97.3 CTFM. We are coming to you from our studios in number 11, Dr. Martin Lube in Adabraka in Accra. We return with more. Please stay with us. Eyewitness News. Be there as it happens. You're welcome. This is Eyewitness News on 97.3 CTFM. We are broadcasting from number 11, Dr. Martin Lube 
in Adabraka in Accra. My name is Umaru Sandamadu here with Akosia Ochi. The big stories we are looking at tonight on Eyewitness News. The Parliament of Ghana has uh, uh, decriminalized or passed a law to decriminalize attempted suicide. We've been hearing from the mental authority uh, former head, Dr. Akosia who has been a long-time advocate of that. We've also heard from Francis Xavier, so a member of parliament who is uh, on the committee that deals with legal matters that are brought before the House. Uh, we also still are going to be talking about NDC matters. The party uh, finished the vetting of uh, presidential aspirants and uh, has also made them ballot. John Mahama is number one on the list to tell you who is number what. And the gentleman who was fourth uh, has decided to withdraw. We'll talk about that shortly. But talking about the NDC, its wing in the Ashanti region is in a running battle with the police. Uh, now, some executives of the party uh, were invited by the police CID to come and uh, explain why they were seen wearing camouflage uh, during the visit by former President Mahama. After the decision, after the interaction with the police, this is what some of them said. We will continue to wear it until a competent court tells that we can't wear it. I'm telling you, we will continue to wear that dress until a competent court says that Ashanti regional executive, you cannot wear it anymore, then we'll stop wearing it. Let's go to Hafiz Tijani, he's our correspondent in the Ashanti region. He was following the NDC executives who went to respond uh, to the CID. Hafiz, you're welcome to Eyewitness News. The backstory is that what? Uh, they were wearing the camouflage for fun or they were f serving as uh, party security. Give us a backstory. Well, so when the former president was in the region for his campaign tour, uh, we saw pictures of these regional executives wearing the camouflage with uh, some NDC embossment on the camouflage. So they say this is a uniform they are using going into the 2024 general elections as part of their party activities. But the police later saw these pictures going viral on social media and uh, extended a call to them to uh, come and explain why they were in this camouflage. And the soundbite just gone by was a retired captain. Uh, he was in the military, and he dropped that to do politics. Uh, he is called Captain Retired Kwame Jabari. He is the Ashanti Regional First Vice Chair of the, um, the NDC. So uh, he has had some of his outfits being camouflaged uh, in his dressing. So uh, he extended that to the executives, the other executives of the party, to put it on whenever they are going for such activities. But he says that the police do not understand uh, the attack for the military. He is uh, a retired police of uh, uh, army, and he is not going to put on such a military attack, he is in politics now. He is not going to put that attack, but the police are not getting it right, and they are going after them. He described that as an intimidation of the executives in the region. I see. So they were made to write statements, granted bail, or what happened at the police office? Yes, so they were charged with um, possessing military accoutrement, and uh, they wrote their statements. 
On Monday, we're told this invitation was extended to them when the police called them, but they say they declined the invite because the police did not write formally to the uh, regional executive. They have a channel of communication. They should have communicated well formally to the leadership of the party in the region so that they can get them invited, and the police didn't do that. And later, the regional crime officer himself went to the regional office to uh, formally invite them to the police. So this morning, when we were at the party's office, the party people were massing up. You remember the case of Comparazac, where the party people massed up to uh, give their support to Comparazac. So this was a similar incident that was unfolding uh, um, until the regional chairman of the party, um, Andrews Augustus, came out to uh, tell them to be calm to go back to their various workplaces and homes because this was an issue that they would deal with the police. And he uh, pleaded for comportment on the part of the party supporters, and uh, he went with the executives to the police. On the side of the police, did we hear, get any comment from them? Well, the police say it didn't comment on this matter. It's investigating its matter. So the outcome was that the police was going to send these um, attacks to the military to do their checks and verification to find out whether these um, accoutrements belong to the police or uh, the military or any civilian can just put on this attack. So that is the stage we are now. Very well. Thank you so much for speaking to us, Hafiz. Hafiz Tijani is our correspondent in the Ashanti region. We can now hear from the um, Captain Retired John Kwame Jabari, who is the Ashanti Regional uh, First Vice Chair of the NDC, speaking after they went to meet the police. Our message to the police is that they must be fair and unbiased in their treatment of all the political parties. It must not be that because NDC are wearing it, they must be invited. If MPP is wearing it, they must also be invited. If Captain Smart is wearing it, he must be invited. If Tomboy is wearing one in a military compound in Bemakam, and the military don't have any problem with it, and a former captain must be reported and invited, I have no problem with it. I know it is politics that they are doing. But I must remind them that when I was in service, I dropped the uniform before I came and did politics. So if the police and military are in dress and they want to do politics, I honorably tell them that they should drop their uniform and come and join me in politics and let's do proper politics. But if they want to be in the uniform and be doing politics and they be manipulated by the MPP, we as regional executives in Asante Regime will not take it. We will not take it one day or not. We will not be intimidated. They said they are going to find out from the military whether the attack that we wore was a military attack or not. So we'll wait for them to come and tell us whether it was a military attack or not. That one is it. Finally, what, what prompted the decision to you know, um, wear these um, camouflage dresses? What prompted for you to wear this dress today? It is a dress! And I decided to wear it. Because I'm sure of you are wearing dresses today. I can't ask you specifically why it prompted you for you to wear this thing today. So it was a dress that we wore it. And we will continue to wear it until a competent court tells that we can't wear it. I'm telling you, we will continue to wear that dress until a competent court says that 
Ashanti regional executive, you cannot wear it anymore, they will stop wearing it. But the police are not alone on their own. And uh, when, when, when you see the camera, sir, he can tell you. The teaming supporters. The teaming supporters, they should tell us that. They tell him that we Ashanti regional executives, we are more poised and we are leaving no stone unturned. We will not be intimidated by anybody. I know people are worried by the people who are now regional executives. We, the 18 regional executives, some people are worried. And I must tell them they must be worried because we are more focused than ever for victory 2024. You can you can do that. So my, my brother will do the key version of the interview. That's Captain Retired John Kwame Jabari. He's Ashanti Regional First Vice Chair of the NDC. Let's speak to Bacham for his Deputy Secretary of the NDC in the Ashanti region. He was one of the people who were invited to come and answer questions. Mr. Chamfo, you're welcome to Eyewitness News. Thank you, my brother. Okay, first of all, is it that you have a party security with a uniform that you decided to wear, or you all decided to dress from your homes, showed up and realized, oh, we're all wearing the same thing, and it looks like military camouflage, and police had to question you. What happened? Uh, I think when Jim came to Ashanti region for his uh, campaign, one of our brothers, uh, Captain John Jabari, uh, had a uniform, a camouflage uniform, which uh, sought our attention. So some of us decided to speak to him to get to get us one. So it was a material tool at the KGJ market. He went and bought uh, one, and 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 and, and so it's for us. And that's what he used when Jim came. It isn't any military uniform or any form of security group. It is a normal camouflage material. We saw our brother having one, and he decided to take one, and that is all there is to it. How many of you wore it? A sixty number. Six. So you decided to wear a uniform. Not a uniform, but I think uniform I think simply means that the two of you are dressed in unison, isn't it? In unison, when you have when you have the same agenda, when you have the same intention. So if you, you, you find someone wearing the same attire that you are, you can't call it uniform because you didn't plan it. But you, said, you said that you told him to get it for you, so that, that means you yeah, all planned it. Yes, one for me, and I didn't know he was putting it on on that very day. So we just all just put it on. Coincidentally, we all met and said, oh, then let's take a picture of it. So we just took a picture. Because some of them, we didn't even know they have requested one from Captain John Jabari. But for this your story, let's, let's look at it again. You yeah, said you saw Jabari wear the thing. You liked it, yes. and you told him yes. to get you one. Yes. While at the time you were telling him this, were your other colleagues present? I have no idea because I was with him alone. So you told him alone. The others also possibly told him alone, and then I, I believe so. And you all showed up wearing it on a day so without they, any plan. So, so, no, without any plan. So on the next day, we just put it on because I, I didn't even know he was putting that because he has different kind of camouflage attire. So I did not even know he was putting that on on that very day. Okay. So I just put my on even coincidentally we all met we are having one. So we we're just teasing ourselves, laughing among ourselves, and that was all. Did you play any role in GM's visits wearing that uniform? Did you perhaps try to maintain order and law law and order in, in among about, the gathering? It's, it's not anything related to security. That thing should be made known to everyone. So you not play any role in terms of it security? It has nothing to do with... I'm the deputy regional secretary. I have nothing to do with playing rule, taking security or whatsoever. We have task force in charge of that. And even when GM came, there were police in charge of that. So that was not my role at all. I'm, 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 I'm the deputy regional secretary. I made sure that job is set 
for the for the program to come out. In fact, I do initial speaking before before they even visit the ground. So it has nothing to do with security or taking charge of the crowd or whatsoever. No. But the thing you wore, did it look like what the soldiers were? Not even related. Not even close. How different was it from the soldiers' uniform? It was completely different that I can't even prescribe. Even the color. You see, Ghana Army has a patent, uh, a patent material. Their patent is completely different from what we put on. And now do you know that one of us is a former retired military captain. He knows the prescribed uniform of the military because he is ever one one. And he's, he's been one of them. So anything related to the military, he knows it. So, so the, the, cloth, the cloth that was used to produce yours, you said it was bought at KTR Market, the, the bent yeah. one. So, so, no, no, it's, the material was bought. We just gave it to a tailor to, to sew it. The material was bought. So if it we... Isn't, it, it isn't a ready-made, a ready-made stuff. We bought the material, we gave it to someone to put it together for, 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 for me. And as I asked my other colleagues, that was what they also did. So you do not have and any regret wearing it? No, I will even wear it again. Why? I, I, because it says only the court tell me to stop wearing it. No institution in Ghana can tell me to stop wearing that dress unless the court has spoken. And the court, when this sample is taken to them, because what the police told us, they are taking the material to the Ghana Armed Force to ascertain whether that is indeed they are, they, are, they are Ghana Army patent. And if that is that, then they will push the case. So, so the if, if the court have, says that, oh, what you are wearing is for soldiers, don't wear it, you will stop. That the court has spoken. But, but, why, okay, but, 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 but why do you have to wear anything that looks even close to a military uniform? And why shouldn't I wear anything which is close to a military uniform? Why? Because if of the, the obvious, because of the obvious the eyebrows that will be raised. What is, what is obvious? What is obvious it is, is that people you people will think you are a vigilante group. That is their prescription, and I'm not going to banter anyone on that. But if it is law, it should, it should be found in our books. If that is law, that law should be found in our books, whether president or was an enactment of parliament. So if the court says that Belgium for this uniform looks like or it is a Ghana Armed Forces uniform, do not put it on. I'm a law-abiding citizen, and I will do the same. Without that, no institution or whatsoever can harass, intimidate us to stop wearing it. If the MPP executives in the region choose to wear something similar to yours tomorrow, maybe seven of them or ten of them at their event, you would have no problem with that, would you? All, 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 all the two million supporters of MPP can wear it. That is not my issue. So far as it is not a prescribed uniform, from any of the militaries, of any of the forces in Ghana, or any of the security agencies in Ghana, what law have they breached? After all, we saw MPP people wearing the same thing. The National Youth Organizer of MPP had the same uniform on, which is even a bit closer to the Ghana Armed Forces uniform. He was not arrested. Today, the picture was shown to the Regional Crime Officer. He said he cannot take the matter unless you take it to a class. So, I mean, why? Is it because they found MPP or they found NDC logo in the uniform that attracted the attention? Or, or what is it? Okay, so you had NDC logo sewn to the, to the, yes, to the dress. Yes, they have NDC logos. In fact, the, the, the way the armed forces, the Ghana military stole their uniform, is not the same way we did ours. Well, as I told you... Was your short sleeve or long sleeve? It was long sleeve. Put on jeans. Have you ever oh, seen oh, a military uniform put on jeans? You wore a pair of jeans. Yes. What color of jeans? Black jeans. 
with my, with, with black cap. Ha, ha, oh, you had a cap. Okay, what was written on the yeah. caps? No, it's from Anna. GM. Yes. Okay, what about the footwear? Did you wear boots, like military boots or normal <laughs> kambu? I was wearing my normal kambu, my normal sneakers. Normal sneakers. No. What brand? The normal, normal Puma sneakers. Puma, that's okay. That's okay, okay. Yes. So, so, so you ask me, what I believe is that the police in Ashanti region, as usual, have started their intimidation and their harassment towards the National Democratic Conference. It means they are I've been once an MPP, and then when I see the handwriting of MPP, I see it. I know it. This is the clear handwriting of the MPP to intimidate us in the region. But I'm assuring our supporters, our team supporters, that they have elected law-abiding leaders who are courageous, who are brave, who are fearless, and you will never and ever be cast into submission for anyone or any institution to determine what we should put on and what we should do at any given time, unless the court. Very well, we'll leave it there. Thank you. But how is your party doing in the Ashanti region, though? Fantastic. And that is why some of us are shivering and peeing in their panties. They've seen the force of, they've seen the current leadership of NDC in Ashanti region. They have started shivering because these are determined Jews, determined young guys who are poised to take over power. Lawfully, and that's exactly what we are doing. Are you in going fact, to? Uniform, are, 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 are you going to produce the first? We're going to, to to the constituencies. The constituencies so they should prepare mm. and produce more cells. Are you going to produce? <laughs> are you going to produce the they first? Intimidated. You, never be intimidated, and some of us will never be intimidated. But are you going to produce your first flag bearer? If they want, you see, you see, I believe, I believe the regional police commander is doing the pageant of the MPP. Because that, that's, 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 that's an accusation. Bajanfo, that. can you hear me? Hello, can you hear me? Can you hear me? You are seeking my view, and that's my view. But you, that's can you hear me? Now. Can you hear me? You call to seek my view. I can hear you. Okay. So you, this view, this view is not a very popular one. Let's leave it. Do you think that your party is going to... View. I know, I know. I, I believe between parties. I believe that... No, 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 no problem. And I'm saying that, I'm saying that you let, you let that view go. You, you leave that view. Let's proceed. Will you produce your first flag bearer that from the Ashanti region? Kojo Bonsu, he's on the list. He wants to be flag bearer. He's from your place. Are you are you guys going to push for him to be your flag bearer so that you have the first Ashanti NDC for flag bearer? For Kojo Bonsu. NDC flag bearer is John Kojo Bonsu. But they are not, we're not ready to do try, 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 uh, try an error. He's from your place. Yeah, yeah, so he was your he was your mayor. He he worked so hard. He built a Rattray Park for you, one of the popular uh, and very celebrated monuments of of, of, of the party in the region. Who appointed him to build the Rattray Park? Who, who appointed him to, do, to build the Rattray Park? Who gave him the opportunity to serve Ashanti region? The one who gave him the opportunity is the contestant. So it gives me a clear view that the one who appointed him has a good eye to see who can deliver in the region, and I will not choose him over the one who appointed him. We are determined party. We are focused. In fact, as I speak, I'm, I'm, I'm also the director of election for the Man campaign in Ashanti region. I'm the regional director of election. We are determined to produce huge percentage for John Daman Mahama, for NPP to see that yes, John Daman Mahama is still popular in the party. And yes, when presented to Ghanaians, Ghanaians will still vote for him. Okay. We are not supporting anyone as I speak. Very well. Apart from John Damani Mahama. Thank you. Thank you for speaking to us, Ba. Thank you, my brother. That's Ba Chanfo, his deputy secretary of the NDC in the Ashanti region. One of the executives were invited to come answer questions for 
wearing a, that uniform um, that has been described as military camouflage, they say otherwise. Let's speak to someone who once wore a uniform, state uniform, but for the police, not for the military. He abandoned the uniform and decided to go to parliament representing the people of Wild West. The Honorable Peter Tobu is a retired policeman. You're welcome to Eyewitness News here. My brother Umaru, good evening. Good evening. What is the law on wearing camouflage? I recall that uh, soldiers from the camp would usually uh, take on young men who are wearing anything that looked like military uniform, possibly force you to remove it. Some are sorted and made to remove whatever they are wearing. Is it that there's a law that says don't wear military uniform or camouflage whatsoever if you're not a military person? Thank you very much. Let me say good evening to our cherished listeners. The principle is simple. If you're a police officer, you dress and the uniform shows that you're a police officer. If you're a soldier, you're a soldier by training, but the uniform is symbolic of who you are. So if you're not a police officer, you're not a soldier, and you're wearing army uniform, they have the right to question you. The snack here is that you have a lot of camouflage in town. Some of them are imported from America. Some of them are imported from other places. And they sell them even in the, in the force market. You go to Katamanto, you get all of them. Is it any camouflage you find that is a military uniform in Ghana? That's the question. So if you go to Katamanto and they're selling these military shorts or military top jacket and you buy and you wear, do you become a soldier by that? Do you resemble a soldier by that? Is that the Ghana army uniform? But if that is the Ghana army uniform, you don't have any right to wear it. But any other camouflage that is flying around in the market, and it is not Ghana Army uniform. If you are found wearing it, that should not be an issue. Unless there is a law that bans the import of sectors. I'm sure we have found ourselves in Cantamanto, arresting all those who are selling all these kinds of camouflage. It is camouflage. But what is the Ghana's camouflage? What is the Ghana Army uniform? And that is the definition that we need to find to ensure that we are very fair to the people of Ghana. And being very fair to the image of the Ghana Armed Forces. So, do you buy into the view by original executives that this is a pure political issue and that it has nothing to do necessarily with the uniform they were wearing? They even argue that they, they bought it from the market and had it sewn and they wore it over pairs of uh, jeans. And so it couldn't have been military camouflage at all. Exactly the point I was making. When you find them in that uniform, do they look like soldiers? Is that what the Ghana Army gives to their soldiers? If that is no, can that one be found in the open market? If that is yes, and somebody buys it from the open market, if you think that's the problem, let's extend the discussion to the level that we tell people not to import those kinds of things. If it's illegal to import them, then it will be illegal for you to even sell in the market. It will be illegal for somebody to go and buy. But the question is, is that the uniform worn by gun armed forces? For you to think that you are behaving like a soldier, or you are dressing like a soldier, and probably you are trying to defraud the public, by presenting yourself that you are a soldier who you are indeed not. So let's be careful with these things, or else we will turn it into a political drama and people will begin to mar the image of the Ghana Armed Forces, which is not good enough. Very well. Thank you for speaking to us. That's a retired policeman, member of parliament for Wild West, the uh, Honorable Peter Lanchini Tobu. This is Eyewitness News on 97.3 CTFM. We are coming to you from our studios in Adabraka in Accra. When we come back, we'll do the latest in the world of business and then we have Prem Lang. On Prem Lang, we'll talk about the NDC and also some other issues relating to education. Please stay with us. Eyewitness News. Be there as it happens. Eyewitness News. Be there as it happens. 
get the details. Every significant financial transaction, every market movement, and all the policies that affect your business. City Business News. Be informed. Time now for City Business News on Eyewitness News, powered by citybusinessnews.com. My name is Michael Obodu. Let's settle for the details now. The Institute for Energy Securities, IES, is predicting a 2% and 5% reduction in the prices of fuel in the first pricing window in April. This will be the third consecutive time that consumers of petroleum products will heave a sigh of relief as they visit the pump over the last couple of months. According to IES, liquefied petroleum gas will be the biggest gainer with a 9% reduction in its price. Speaking to City Business News Research Analyst with IES, Adam Yakubu says this development is as a result of the fall in price of crude oil on the international market as well as the relative stability of the city against major trading currencies such as the US dollar. So there's uh, a direct effect when the price of crude drops, then equally affect the prices of what the finished product. So when you look at the the prices, it lost about uh, two two six percent, almost three percent of its price, closing the window at about seven hundred and seventy two point seven five cents per barrel per metric ton. Sorry, then uh, gas oil on the other hand about three percent, closing the window at seven hundred and eighty three point nine five dollars per metric ton. LPG, which was the biggest uh, or which has seen the biggest fall in price, lost about 15%, closing the window at $530 per metric ton. One would ask, what does this mean for domestic consumers of petroleum products? And so when you look at our domestic market, we are or we are looking at price drop between 2% and 5% across board. Uh, and LPG could do about 9%. Given the fact that the Ghana city has been relatively stable and also closed the the window, gaining some five percent against the United States dollar. So for the next two weeks, we project that prices of these products would fall. Yakubu Adam is a research analyst at the Institute for Energy Security, IES. Now, the Commissioner of Domestic Tax at the Ghana Revenue Authority, Edward Apintingamina, is urging business operators to embrace the EVAT system to help government rake in more revenue to address the economic challenges that confront the country. He explains that the pilot stages of the EVAT system has been quite successful, thus the need to onboard all companies operating in the business space. He made these comments on the sidelines of a business engagement with CEOs of businesses to get them acquainted with the EVAT system. As we indicated, the next step to onboard them is to engage them individually. So we will first write to them, inform them about the dates that we want to start onboarding. And uh, we will appoint a relationship manager who is going to liaise between the, of them and our technical team to uh, do the onboarding. In fact, we'll be doing this engagement for this week and next week. Once we start, once we are done with that, we're going to issue letters and start. And that is it's going to be a process. This, we are doing 600, but we hope to expand it to about 1,000. Extremely successful. And uh, as I indicated, I think the e-invoicing is what we all need to support. Uh, that is what can uh, solve our VAT and that declaration for us. 
So uh, the first pilot has been extremely successful and we think that that is the way we should go and we need the support of every Ghanaian, everyone to support this course for us to be able to raise the needed revenue for the development of the state. Yeah, we, we've taken note of all those concerns and uh, we're going to address them. The same thing happened during the pilot stage and we were able to weather the storm. So it's not going to be different. Of course, uh, with the new system, you are bound to have challenges, but I can assure you all those challenges we are prepared to deal with them. Edward Appentin Jamina is the Commissioner of Domestic Tax at the Ghana Revenue Authority. Away from that, the Secretary General of the African Continental Free Trade Area, Wamkele Mene, is urging enterprises to make use of the Pan African Payments and Settlement System as a means of resolving the foreign exchange obstacles involved in conducting business with their peers in different African nations. The Pan-African Payment and Settlement System PAPS is a centralized financial market infrastructure enabling the efficient and secure flow of money across African borders. The platform minimizes risk and contributes financial integration across the regions. Mr. Mene believes that although Africa is yet to attain its single currency objective on the continent, the payment system is strategic progress in the interim. He spoke at the Zimtrade Ghana uh, Zimbabwe and Ghana Business Forum organized in Accra aimed at increasing trade amongst both countries. And so what we've done with Africsim Bank, the African Union, AFCFTA Secretariat, is to introduce a tool, a very practical tool, which will boost intra-Africa trade. So going forward, where the governor of your central bank has approved that your commercial bank can be part of the Pan-African Payments and Settlement System. And I know that the governor of the Central Bank of um, uh, Zimbabwe is, is actively seized with this matter. You will then be able to trade in local and completely circumvent uh, any third currency, whether it is the dollar, the euro, or any other third currency. This is a very important practical step to us achieving the economic integration that we want to see on our continent. If you remember, as I do, when the founding mothers and fathers of the Organization of African Unity met in Addis Ababa in May 1963, one of the objectives was for Africa to trade, to integrate the market, and to trade you had the general secretary general of the African Continental Free Trade Area, Wam Kele Mene. Now, the government has been criticized for further increasing the monetary policy rates despite the continual struggles the business community faces. The Bank of Ghana increased the MPC rate by 150 basis points to 29.5%. According to the governor of the central bank, Dr. Ines Addison, the move is to place the economy firmly on the path of stability and reinforce the pace of this inflation. Speaking to City Business News, however, Professor Lord Mensah, an economist, says this action by the government is counterintuitive as it will further worsen the plight of businesses. That seems be counterintuitive in the sense that uh, we had a, an economic reform, which is a debt exchange. And the debt exchange, the old base is to bring down interest rates, which uh, we've seen the direction, I mean, going on well. We've seen treasury bills go, rate going down. So if you turn up to increase the policy rate, 
then more or less you are countering the benefits of the debt equity, which is an economic reform with the card. So for me, it was something that I got surprised when I heard of the increase. If for nothing at all, you should have, you know, maintained it. Look at the prospect. As we speak now, if you increase it, and then even this morning, I got the Gambang Bank of Ghana has also given the news to the bank that they should increase their cash reserve by 14%, 12 to, but they should move it from 12 to 14%, which in all, giving the signal of mopping up the little liquidity that the bank has to lend, now that, you know, tangible rate is coming down and the possible alternative, you know, lending environment will be not to lend to the government, but rather to lend to individuals. You are now coming to destroy that direction. And so for me, it wasn't something that I was happy with, because it's countering the economic direction that we're trying to build up by bringing interest rates down. You hear the economist, Professor Lord Menza. Now, Deputy Minister of Transport, Frederick Obing Adum, has described the additional flight by Ethiopian airline as a major boost to the African Continental Free Trade Area Agreement. This comes as Ethiopian Airlines launched additional four times weekly night flight operations to Accra. The airline already operates daily flights from Addis Ababa to Accra, and this new night flight will complement its regular midday flights, making the airline the largest operator by frequency, that is 11 times per week, servicing Kotoka International Airport. It is not economically wise for travelers to travel to continents just to connect to a neighboring countries via air travel. The story of air connectivity on the African continent must change, and I am very pleased to witness this significant milestone of Ethiopian Airlines. Ethiopian Airlines is being one of the pioneering airlines on the continent and can boast of being the airline with the largest fleet and passenger number with over 120 destinations, including 62 African connectivity. The additional flight will be operated on Monday, Tuesdays and Thursdays and Fridays. The airline will offer customers more convenient options to enjoy immediate connectivity to its intra-Africa network to foster trade and tourism and the continent. It is in no doubt that in achievement of African continental free trade area thereafter, Deputy Minister of Transport, Frederick Obing Adum. And that's all for City Business News on Eyewitness News. It was powered by your most comprehensive business website, citybusinessnews.com. My name is Michael Obodu. Thank you for listening. As always, please stay safe. Up next is Point Blank. Eyewitness News. Be there as it happens. It's 24 minutes to 1900 GMT. This is Prime Blanc on Eyewitness News. My name is Umaru Sandama. Tonight on Prime Blanc, we're looking at two issues, the NDC and also some education-related matters. But first, the NDC is on a campaign for a flag bearer. It's on a hunt for a new flag bearer. 
four persons picked forms to run for that office. At the end of the day, we are told only three returned their nomination form. The man who manages the elections or the committee in charge of uh, elections for the NDC is Kakrai Samoa. He's joined us on the line now for a wrap-up of events so far. Uh, sir, you're welcome to Arena's News. Thank you very much. All right, so you open nominations, people picked forms, they've submitted. W- walk us through the process up to this level. What is the status of affairs? So let me correct you. Four persons picked nomination forms. Four persons returned the nomination forms. When we did the vetting, in the course of the vetting, then one of them withdrew. Oh, I see. Okay, so that that that, that is that is, that is clear now. Thank you. So so walk yes. us through uh, the process up to now, and what's the next stage? Uh, we opened nominations end of February. Give them one month. So they came, started coming in last week, Tuesday, Wednesday, and Thursday. Returned it, filled nomination forms, and paid the nomination fee. So then we scheduled a vetting for all four of them for this week. And as I said, in the course of the vetting, one of them would do. That is Comrade Ernest Kukukobia. So remaining only three persons. Okay. It's actually John Dramani Mahama, Comrade Dr. Kovna Dufo, and Comrade Kujubosu. Many people are wondering if Kobia paid the money that everybody else was supposed to pay before he withdrew. Oh, he did. He did. He paid that money. The filing fees? Yes, he did. Which is 500000 500000 Did he say why he decided to withdraw after paying that huge... Well, he aborted... The, the, he himself aborted the process, so we don't know why he, he, he dropped out. So he just wrote to you and said he's no more interested? Yes, he wrote a letter and said that he was no more interested. But in the letter, he stated that he was throwing his weight behind... His Excellency John Dramani Mahama. I see. I know in regular shops, goods sold are not re- returnable or money paid for the goods are not refundable. Would you refund his money to him now that he's no, his, his money is not refundable? Sikanashi. <laughs> <laughs> okay, you also did. Oh, Ashiamano. Maybe for you it is fine. You also did the balloting today. Yes, we did. What's the arrangement, please? On the ballot paper, the first position was taken by. His Excellency John Dramani Mahama. The second position was taken by Comrade Kujubunsu. And the third position was taken by Dr. Comrade Po. So that's the arrangement? Yes, that's what's going to be on the ballot paper. What it means is that all th- uh, three who you vetted, you have cleared and you have approved yes. to go and run? Yes, that's true. All right. Is that the end of your work as a committee? No. The elections haven't come on. So until the elections are over, we are still in office. So you are into when? May? Yes. The elections are on 13th May, 2023. All right. After that, you, you would have done your job. Yes, that is so. Okay. Uh, thank you. I think I think there's no loose end to tie. We can leave it here. Thank you so much. Thank you very much. Thank you. That's Kakari Samoa. He heads the elections committee of the National Democratic Congress. We can now hear from Edward Kobridua Jaho, former Speaker of Parliament, who also chaired the vetting committee of the NDC. He spoke after the balloting was done. Today, the 29th of March, 2023, I announced to you that three out of the NDC stars who applied to have their names on the ballot paper for the presidential primaries of the National Democratic Congress 
have sailed through the vetting successfully. The fourth, Mr. Ernest Kwakukudia, has voluntarily withdrawn from the contest this morning. And has communicated this to us in a letter in his own handwriting. The three are His Excellency John Dramani Mahama, former President of the Republic of Ghana, Dr. Kobina Dufo, former Minister of Finance, and Honorable Kujo Gunsu, former Mayor of Kumasi. We have also conducted a ballot for the position of the candidates. On the ballot paper for the 13th May presidential primaries, the candidates' positions are as follows. Number one, His Excellency John Ramani Mahama. Number two, Kojo Bonsu. And the third position on the ballot goes to Dr. Kobina Dufo. That's the Honorable Edward Doaja, former Speaker of Parliament, who is Chair of the Vetting Committee of the NDC. Let's hear now from the persons who want to lead the party. Kojo Bonsu, the former mayor of Kumasi, he says he's confident he'll win the party's presidential primaries on May 13. Listen to him. It was very well, even though I went through some hard questions and I, I really expected it. Do you care to share some of the questions that you were asked? Um, I think it's a bit of a closed-door thing. Um, obviously, a question that you cannot miss is my tenure in office mm. in Kumasi. Okay. That came up. And what were some of the sectorial areas that you were uh, questioned on? Is it about the economy? or? I was asked about the economy, our Social Democratic Party tenants, and um, how I would rule Ghana. I'm sure they're doing the balloting today, so obviously I'll be told whether I've passed or not. I mean, it's not easy to go through such a vetting, and I think I, I'm so confident and I trust myself that um, I'm qualified to become one of the people to lead in this if the delegates vote for me. So what were some of the qualities the committee expected from you as someone... A presidential quality, and I have it. So that's Kojo Bonsu. He's gunning to be flag bearer of the NDC. The other person is uh, Dr. Kwabna Dufo, former Bank of Ghana governor, former finance minister. But let's hear from John Dramani Mahama, former president, also a flag bearer. He spoke uh, to journalists after uh, going through vetting. I have just come out of the vetting session required by the party for all those who have filed their nominations. First of all, I want to thank all those who have supported me, both morally, materially, for bringing us this far. Especially want to thank all those who offered to pay my filing fees and it was paid multiple times. We raised far more than the 500,000. And I want to thank all our constituency executives, regional executives, and branch executives of the regions that have visited so far, Volta, Bono East, Bono, 
I have for Western and then we're going to Central from tomorrow. I want to thank all of them for the rousing welcome they gave us when we came to their conferences. I just finished the meeting. It's a very powerful team. About 12 members of the vetting committee made up of several of our members of the Council of Elders, respected party cadres, and was chaired by the Honorable, Right Honorable former Speaker, Dua Jaho. I was asked questions about the party, how to strengthen the party, the electoral process. I was asked about parliament, how to strengthen our group in parliament. But most of all, I was asked questions about the country and my views for repairing our damaged economy and also improving governance in Ghana. It was a very serious interview. So that's former President John Ramani Mahama. He's hoping to be flag bearer of the NDC again uh, to run for office. Let's move from the NDC and go to education matters now. Today, the Speaker of Parliament was a third, second deputy, but he sat in the chair as a speaker. He made a referral to a committee of parliament on an action that was taken by the University of Ghana. There's also an issue having to do with capitation grant to school. Dr. Clementa Park is the man who has been leading that campaign. He's MP for Bulsa South and the deputy ranking member on the Education Committee of Parliament. Doc, you're welcome to Point Blank on Eyewitness News. Uh, thank you, Sander. It's, uh, it's good to hear from you after running into each other briefly yesterday in Parliament. Yes, since you've mentioned that, let me just officially say that I ran into you when you were having a caucus meeting, a crisis meeting, if you like, of your side after some of your, your members betrayed you. Are you part of the traitors? Well, obviously not. And uh, what the temptation to delve into more details, palpable as it is, I have chosen not to speak because I made my views on what happened known in my writers. And uh, after yesterday's caucus meeting, uh, we as the uh, caucus, uh, we are resolved to move on and uh, to clearly put in greater effort uh, to regain the trust that uh, we lost as a result of uh, that vote. Uh, so I will leave it there. But I know the party has also indicated that uh, it is conducting its own uh, uh, investigation. So that is what I can say with regards to that. Okay, let's leave it there then. Um, let's talk about education. Before we talk about the capitation grant, which you have challenges with, the speaker made a referral to the committee on something that may have been done or may not have been done by the University of Ghana in relation to the to the halls of residence. What was the issue? Well, yes, the speaker of parliament, in fact, the first deputy speaker of parliament, uh, the Honorable Joseph Osewusu, uh, made a directive, and this directive was made after I read a joint statement uh, authored between myself, Dr. Clement Park, and my colleague, the Honorable Nelson Dafiamako. Now, it's important to state that Nelson and my good self are alumni of uh, Commonwealth Hall, uh, University of Ghana, and we are all vandals. Uh, we belong to the parliamentary wing 
of the old vandals association. And of course, we have members on both sides of the aisle. As alumni of the university, we have monitored and continue to be interested in activities on campus and in particular activities and challenges that face our hall and our younger vandals who someday would be like us. So today's statement was to call on the University of Ghana to respect the ruling of the court with regards to its recent policy decision to change the residential arrangements as far as Commonwealth Hall and I believe Saba Hall are concerned. Uh, you will reckon uh, that in the latter part of uh, last year, there was an incident that occurred on the campus of the University of Ghana. And the university blamed students of Commonwealth Hall and Saba Hall for that incident. In fact, the university went on to make certain decisions and findings which we as old vandals did not agree with. But be as it may, the university then decided to institute a new policy, which then says that Commonwealth Hall would only accommodate first year students, in this case freshers, and graduate students. What that meant was that continuing students, those students who were in year two, three, and four, were expelled from the hall. So some of these students who were expelled decided to seek redress in the course of our land. And in that redress, the court granted a first injunction barring the university from implementing its new policy of in, out, out, out for 10 days. After the 10 days had expired, the lawyers of the students went back to court. And this time, the court granted an interlocutory injunction that barred the university from implementing the new residential policy until the substantive case was heard and judgment pronounced upon. Yet, as we speak, the university has refused to abide by the ruling of the court. So it was on the basis of this that we, the old vandals who are members of Ghana's parliament, decided to bring this matter to the floor of parliament and to seek the intervention of parliament as an institution. And we are glad that the speaker has referred the issue to the Education Committee of Parliament, and he has asked that we invite the Investment Council and other interested parties to engage them on the matter and to find out why the investment management has failed to respect a court order. So that is what happened as far as the statement that I made on behalf of all the vandals in Parliament is concerned. Okay. Let's talk now about the capitation grant. You are saying that things will grant to a halt at the basic school level because of the non-payment of the monies? Yes, Umaru. First of all, it's important to put in context that the capitation grant came into existence in 2005 
and the purpose for the introduction of the capitation grant was to ensure that parents were relieved of having contribution towards the education of the awards in Ghana's public schools. Essentially, it is the capitation grant that was brought into being to ensure that basic education was truly free. And so what governments have done over the years is that the money for the capitation grant are calculated and remitted to the Ministry of Education, which then forwards those monies to the Ghana Education Service, and it then goes down to the district directors of education to be disbursed to the heads of basic schools to cover the administrative and day-to-day expenses of the public basic schools. So we speak about monies to buy items like chalk, like attendance registers, to fix broken doors and windows, to engage in manual renovations, to support sports activities, to support cultural activities, and sometimes mock examinations. So what has happened, which has occasioned the need for me to address the media on this very present issue, is that for the past two years, the government of uh, Kufado Baumia has failed to remit competition grants which clearly are needed for the full functionality of our public basic schools. As we speak now, for the 2022 um, fiscal year, the total amount that was approved by Parliament as requested by the GES through the Ghana Education, uh, uh, through the Ministry of Education was 60 million Ghana cities. Parliament approved it. But government has only remitted 15 million of the said 60 million. What that means is that government owes capitation grants to a whooping amount of 45 million for the previous year. For the year in question, which is 2023, the request from the Ghana Education Service for capitation grants was 61 million Ghana cities. But government cut it down drastically and only brought forth 11 million to parliament, which has been approved. So ideally, ideally, in any nation state, under any government, which truly prioritizes education, knowing that basic education is foundational, and knowing that the majority of the Ghanaian populace can only afford to send the awards to public business schools, you would have thought that government would have paid the 45 million in arrears and even given the full request of 61 million Ghana cities. Is this because that of a lack of happened. is this because of a lack of money or the government has other priorities? Well, if you have my honest opinion, I think it is both. But you see, we cannot excuse the government for claiming not to have money. Especially so when education is so crucial. 
especially so when this president claims through his Minister for Education that the record of Akufuado in the area of education is unsurpassed. Sadly, the evidence on the ground that does not support that. Umaru, how do you expect these heads of basic schools who have had to borrow money or to borrow services to keep public schools going, to continue to endure this stressful plight when a president chooses to fly in private chartered airlines across the world. And we are being told that the president's recent visit to, to the United States of America was not via the presidential jet, but a private jet. How do you justify not paying capitation grant to keep public business schools functional when you spend a colossal amount in excess of 300 million Ghana cities to construct a personally pledged cathedral? So the point I'm making is that there cannot be an excuse that Ghana is so broke that we are incapable of doing the barest minimum to ensure that the future of this nation, which is our wars, get a good opportunity to be competitive in an ever-changing world. And in the area of priority, to some extent, you are right. What we have seen is that since the inception of the free senior school policy, as defined by the current Akufuado Baumia government, the funding to the basic sector in our educational hierarchy has dwindled year in, year out. Comparatively, the funding for secondary education has either remained steady or has appreciated. So yes, there is some element that indicates that government, since the inception of the free national school policy, doesn't seem to have prioritized basic education. And I think that is most unfortunate because anyone who knows a thing or two about pedagogy or teaching and learning will tell you that the most critical, the most important stage is the basic system. Because if you get the basic right, the secondary, which is the structure, and the tertiary, which is the superstructure, would not be that challenging. And so this government has got it totally wrong. And I feel ashamed and disappointed that we are having to speak this way in the 21st century, that we cannot even afford to remit capitation grants only at 10 Ghana cities per child to keep our public business school system functional. Let's leave it here for now. Thank you so much for speaking to us. It's a pleasure. That's Dr. Clement Park. He's MP Bulsa South Deputy ranking on the Education Committee of Parliament. Let me say that we've tried the Education Ministry and uh, to have an understanding of what exactly the situation is. Uh, we've not been successful in getting an interview from them. But that's how we end tonight's edition of Eyewitness News. My name is Umar Rusanda Amadou. I did visit Akusia Otri. Technical production by Daniel Squashi. Uh, content production by Kwabna Wilson, Beverly London, Sami Wiafi, as well as Nilati Lati. And uh, new media support from Edwin Kwakofi. Eyewitness News returns tomorrow at 17.30 GMT. Thank you for listening and have a good night.
City News. We speak first. Reach our hotline on 0302-224959. And get interactive on Facebook, City 97.3 FM, and on Twitter at City 973.